Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. It's a privilege for me to, to stand before you on, in place of Spencer. Um, it's, um, this is a difficult pulpit to fill <laughs> uh, when Spencer is here. And, uh, but again, uh, I trust the Lord will minister to us through his word. But if you don't know, Spencer and Amy have been in Mexico he just texted me last night. They, you know, Esperanza Viva, the Spanish ministry, was, was here, and they're now down in Illinois. He's a church plant. And Jose was having a conference with five of the Hispanic missionary pastors that uh, he has connected with down in Mexico and Colombia and Costa Rica. So they had a three-day conference. Spencer is speaking in a Mexican church today, and uh, he will be back early this week. So if you... He, you haven't seen him last week, Darren taught, and you know, he's been gone a few Sundays, but that's, um, that's where he has been. Uh, plus, they took a few days to celebrate their anniversary, so uh, that was, it was good. Um, but I guess, you know, having, having returned from Nepal last week um, and participating in the McKinney's ministry, um, as I shared, my heart is just overwhelmed by the evidence of God's grace and what he is doing, you know, there in Nepal um, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And these trips like this, at least for me, make me aware of what God is doing around the world. You know, here in America, we can become so oblivious to what's happening, what God is doing, because unless we get some magazines, you know, the persecuted church or Voice of the Martyrs or things like that, we don't really grasp day to day, week to week, what God is doing. And so um, uh, I just trust that this has given you a little vision of what God is doing and that, you know, Christians are being persecuted around the world. They talked about persecution. What we didn't show in the video is in the mid-80s, the Mao terrorists came up, they burned the church and the people, you know, many were killed and others evacuated down to Kathmandu. That's why people are just now coming back up to Chepwa. Uh, but again, there's many Christians that are being persecuted for the sake of the gospel. And so it's a privilege for us to participate in, um, in the missionary efforts for RBC. Um, also, when I go to Nepal, I see truly how committed these believers are. You could tell that from the video when they got the word, they were committed to sharing it, they were really committed to uh, just uh, doing whatever it would take sacrificially, they would uh, suffer persecution and, uh, for the sake of their faith. And so I come away personally challenged and challenged in a way to say, am I truly committed to what God word, God's word uh, has for me and my heart attitude uh, to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we want to look at this morning. And the question is that I ask myself, am I still living out the commitments that I made based on Luke chapter 9 when I accepted Christ? And I want to challenge you this morning as we go through this, are you still committed to what Christ has called us to as true disciples of his? So... To answer that question, we want to look at Luke chapter 9. If you want to open your Bibles, if you're not there yet, I want to just first look at uh, Luke 9, verses 23, and then we will look at verses uh, 57 through 62. And these give us a pattern on how to evangelize. So these passages are, 
evangelistic, uh, and, but they're also a challenge to us to say, if we believe that when we accepted Christ, this is what we committed to, what are we doing today in relation to those commitments? So I would say that if you're, not, if you're there this morning and you have not accepted Christ, these are a challenge to you. As believers here this morning, um, I would say uh, I challenge you to use this passage to evaluate you know, your commitment and understanding of what a true disciple is. And as your heart's challenged, are there changes that you, that I need to make because of this? Um, so as we look at God's word, let me open in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for just the example that we've seen in the Lomi people of their love for you, their sacrifice, and uh, willing to, to die for the sake of the gospel. And so, Lord, I just pray that our hearts would be challenged, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and redeemer, through the power of your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So look at verse 23. And actually, uh, Brennan read from Matthew 16, which is, which is the same. It says, and he was saying to them all, these are the crowds of people there in Galilee, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow daily and follow me. And going to verse 57. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Verse 61. And another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking bad is fit for the kingdom of God. As I said, verse 23 is basically, uh, this is how to be saved, how to follow Christ. Again, it talks about, you know, says he was saying to them, anyone wishes to come after me. So it's gospel invitation. So if you want to come to me, you've got to be a true, genuine follower. And what's that mean? You've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So this is, I think we have to understand that this is really what it says. It says we have to, in our hearts, we have to be willing to say no to our needs, our desires, our plans, our ambitions, because this is all about embracing the desires and the plans that Christ has for us. This is not about satisfaction. This is about sacrifice. This is challenging. This is really challenging. Uh, it is so easy in America to just for instant gratification and satisfaction. But Christ has called us to a life of sacrifice. And, but there's a level of, if I want to say desperation, is that people aren't going to buy into this very easily. You know, when you, if you're talking to somebody and you say, this is what it takes to follow Christ, you know, what do they say? Oh, not for me. You know, uh, th this isn't very easy. Well, salvation isn't easy. We know that. We live it day to day for those that are believers. And, uh, but we only do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, but this is what it takes, really a hard attitude to come to Christ. But our heart, someone that's seeking Christ, they should only see their sin. They should see that they're unworthy, 
they're sinners, uh, they're spiritual bankrupt, and they need to be rescued because at that point, the Holy Spirit can convict them and say, hey, this is the attitude that you need to have. And what's the reward? Heavenly riches in heaven for eternity. And so they have to see what's here on earth and what's there in heaven. So only a truly broken sinner who's really desperate, seeks forgiveness, would accept this to say, yeah, I'm willing to do that. Bill, you want to do the next picture? This is a picture of Tashi Lama. He's a Buddhist. He was a Buddhist up to about 23 years ago. He made idols. He worshipped idols. And uh, it, the Bible, the New Testament was in existence a couple of years. He got reading the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 8. 1 Corinthians 8 says, idols are nothing. That really struck him. This was his job. He was making idols. He was worshipping idols. God convicted his heart, but he became an agnostic. Well, that doesn't make sense. Became an agnostic. He was still searching. And then, uh, then he, um, he, got, he turned and he became part of a charismatic movement. But he said, this is just like mysticism and Buddhism because it's all emotions. And then God, what happened? God convicted his heart of sin. As he's reading the New Testament, he said, immorality, anger. He went through like seven, eight sins. He says, that's me. And he realized that Christ died for his sins. And he's, you know, that was 23 years ago. He's now an evangelist. He's an elder in a church. And God is using him mightily for the sake of the gospel. But what it take? It took for him to recognize sin, for him to say, I'm all in. And he denied himself, his willingness to sacrifice, you know, his life for Christ. And so it brought him to a point of repentance, and um, he was humbled. And so, um, yeah, so the Lord has for when we come to Christ a pattern of self-denial for our life as a believer. And uh, if I say, well, what are some of the things that you need to deny today? What are some of the things you would deny? Let me give you a couple of examples. When someone speaks evil of your good, your advice is disregarded. Your opinions are ridiculed, yet you refuse to let anger rise in your heart or even defend yourself. You take it in silence. That's denying self. When you're content with any food, any clothes, any climate, any solitude, any interruption by the will of God, that's denying yourself. When you never care to refer to yourself or to record your own good works, that is when you're not prideful, when you're humble, uh, when you can truly love to be unknown, that's denying self. When you see another brother prosper, have his needs met, can honestly rejoice with him in spirit, feel no envy, not even question God while your own needs are far greater and in desperate circumstances, that's denying self. So we need to deny ourself humbly before God. Second thing it says, take up your cross daily. Um, we hear a lot of messages, a lot of explanation of what that means. When Christ said, take up your cross, for the Jews there, they knew what that meant because crucifixion was common. That is, hanging somebody on a cross. They knew it was suffering, it was pain, it was death. But this means this is extreme devotion for someone who's going to come to Christ. It's a willingness doesn't say you will, but it's a willingness to be persecuted. It's a willingness to endure hatred, 
a willingness to endure hostility, rejection, uh, suffering, even death. But they knew exactly what it was. So the message is, if you're going to follow me, it may involve suffering. Uh, because Jesus said, if the world hates you, don't be surprised. They hated me. If the world kills you, don't be surprised. They're going to kill me. So the whole matter of following Jesus is saying no to self and also no to safety. Um, this is understood in many parts of the world because of the persecution. Probably greatest persecution that's happening today is amongst uh, Christians who have been converted from Islam. Uh, these people suffer dearly. Their families reject them, um, and uh, houses can be burned. Uh, so there is much persecution. But the attitude comes with true conversion that Jesus is worth anything and everything. Third thing he says is, follow me. Literally, it says, let him be following me. It's a continual pattern of obedience. Uh, he's in us. We want his will. It says, where do I go? I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll do what you want me to do. So it's an obedience um, to doing what God wants us to do. And as a follower of Christ, we will fail. Uh, at times we will, you know, say yes to things that we shouldn't say yes to. We won't be willing to suffer. But again, we live by grace. We live through the power of the Holy Spirit. And our desire should be to continue to take up our cross daily, deny yourself and follow him. So that's the basic, if you're going to say commitment, at the point of conversion. Let's go to verse 57 and look quickly at these three examples. These are three would-be disciples. Uh, again, Christ is in Galilee, and um, there are a lot of crowds. And the first one, it says, as they were going along, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Whoa. If you were talking to somebody, you know, maybe in the office or in your community, and they say, hey, you know, I want to follow Jesus. You say, man, this is the opportunity. And so you might meet with him, uh, share, the, share the plan of salvation, a little more detail, and he may pray to accept Christ, and you say, okay, let's follow up and go from there. Um, but what happened here? The operative word here is follow. I say operative word is because issue is following Jesus. There's a high cost to following Jesus. And, but yet some things hinder people from coming to Christ. And so Christ, unfortunately, not really unfortunately, but he knew this man's heart. He could read his mind. He could read his heart. And this man's heart was not exactly what the man thought it was, would be. Um, because in, the, in these verses, what was hindering him from becoming a true follower? What would you say it was? Verse 58, so Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Lots of foxes in Israel, lots of birds, they all have their homes. Christ had no place to lay his head. This is all about comfort. He was looking for comfort. He, he wanted personal comfort. The interesting thing is this man, if you go back to Matthew, is a scribe. 
a, a Jewish scribe. He knows the law. And actually, scribes are generally pretty hostile to Jesus. And so if I was you, oh, what better thing is I can get a scribe to come to follow me, and boy, we've really achieved something. And the scribe thought he was giving the greatest commitment to Jesus. But again, Jesus knew differently. Uh, Jesus doesn't just accept anybody. It has to be a heart attitude and a heart acceptance. And so Jesus is sort of saying in verse 28, well, you're not going to be coming to the Ritz-Carlton if you follow me. Uh, I don't have any place to lay my head. He knew that this man's barrier was he wanted a life of personal comfort and ease. Uh, and Jesus didn't even have that himself. Um, but why does this, why does he make an issue out of this? It was an issue because it was an issue with the man's heart. He did not want to deny himself. He did not want to suffer uh, from the comforts that he had. Um, and so it comes down to is what's in it for me? I need to be comfortable. Um, I need to be satisfied. And, uh, but for Jesus, it's not about a matter of what I get from Jesus. It's a matter of what I'm willing to give up for him. So Jesus saw this man's heart attitude, and um, he wants to see that same attitude from us that we are willing to give up uh, comforts of this life. So I just say, what comforts of life and areas of personal ease are we holding on to? I'm challenged when I go to Nepal. That's not an easy place to live. Um, you have one light bulb. You have no running water. You have a community spigot. Um, you don't shower for 10 days. There's no hot water. Uh, the food you eat is dalbat, which is rice and lentils. You eat a little bit of pumpkin. And uh, you say, man, this is pretty bad. It's not bad. It's sustenance, and you're fine but it's not what we're used to. Um, and so sometimes when we see missionaries living in primitive conditions, we say, oh, no way could I do that. Well, you never know. How willing are you if Christ calls you to that? Uh, and so that's, that was the man's hindrance, you know, in this. Uh, Bill, you want to show a picture? Uh, I, this is just, this is that group that was coming from Kathmandu to share and evangelize. I showed this because they don't have a whole lot with them. They got a little bit of a day pack on their back, but they, they go and sleep wherever they can sleep. It's sort of like Jesus went from village to village and people fed him. People maybe provided a little bit of lodging, but they were going out of Kathmandu. They could have been just as easy to stay home, but they were willing to settle for all the discomforts of trekking thousands of feet up and down, uh, living on whatever people provided to them, and sleeping wherever God would allow them to sleep. So they were willing to truly sacrifice for the sake of the gospel, their personal comfort. Um, then look at verses 59 and 60. Let's see the second guy. Um, he said to another, follow me. So this time Jesus said to him, uh, this is not the man speaking to Jesus. So he said, follow me. And what did the man say? He said, well, permit me to go and bury my father. And you said, well, that sounds pretty reasonable. His father must have died, and I'm going to go, and I want to you know, make sure he gets a good burial. And... But in the Jewish, when a man dies, somebody dies, they bury him immediately. 
then there's about 30 days of mourning. So the issue here is his father was not yet dead because if his father had been dead, he wouldn't even be here by Jesus. Okay? So, so that, that's sort of the situation. And, uh, but, you know, and he's saying, what, what he's saying is, I'll follow you someday when my father's dead and I've gotten what I need. He was looking for his inheritance. He said, I, you know, I'm due some money. My dad has a large estate. How did Jesus reply? He rebuked him in verse 60. Allow the dead to bury their dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. His intentions were good. But when it says let the dead, he's talking about the spiritually dead. That is, let the unbelievers, let the people of this world bury your father. Because I'm calling you, you know, to come and follow me. So basically saying your priorities are messed up. Uh, the issue for you is your money, your inheritance, and that was a barrier for this man. He said, I want you to go, if you follow me, come and proclaim the gospel. But this man was committed to personal riches. Um, that made me think of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, but lay up treasures in heaven. What are treasures in heaven? What are treasures in heaven? We know treasures on earth can be our house, it can be a boat, it can be property. Treasures in heaven is one thing, people, the souls of people. When we share the gospel, the souls of people will be the only thing that will last for eternity. And so that was obviously not what this man was thinking about, but that's what God wants us to focus on, our treasures in heaven, not riches here on earth. So the question is, what investments have we made this year for the kingdom of God? Uh, both in the church, area of missions, maybe through other organizations, but how are you using your temporal riches for heavenly purposes, for building up treasures in heaven? Got another picture, Bill. This is uh, Jill, uh, Gil Tapa. He's 75 years old. Uh, he was actually out in Rukum at the time, way back in the late 90s, when Ted and Rachel were there. He runs two orphanages, but at that time, he was just a young man. Uh, there was a baby that was born, twins that were born in the hospital. The mother died, and the father had one other child and said, I can't raise these two twins. So at nine days old, Ted and Rachel connected Gil, and Gil and his wife took in these twins at nine days old. That started an orphanage ministry that Gil's been involved in, and he continually, that's where he's investing for the kingdom of God. He shares Christ with these young, you know, these young children, and God has used him personally because he's willing to sacrifice, you know, what little that he has for the sake of the gospel. Um, the last two verses, the third individual. So another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to go say goodbye to those at home. Well, what's his problem? He says, well, I'm going to make a short trip home. I got to say goodbye. They're going to have a farewell party for me. Maybe they'll give me some money and I'll have some resources and I can follow you. What, what did Jesus say? I mean, another option could have been, he'd say, well, I'm really close to my family. I don't want to leave my family. I don't want to leave my sisters, my brothers. Um, but that wasn't it. If you remember Matthew 10, Christ said, he who loves mother, father more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
and so you say, well, that's, that's pretty unloving, isn't it? Uh, not really. This is the issue of self-hate. It's not saying that you have to despise your family. It basically says that in a relative sense to your love for the kingdom of God is so great that you are really from the spiritual viewpoint indifferent to the compulsions and the pull of the interests of family. So it's up here, your love for God, your commitment to him is so great, it makes your love for your family seem so much less. So Christ responds in verse 62, you know, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. This man had a divided heart. His heart was he wanted to be at home, but he wanted to serve Christ. And uh, that's what Christ is saying. You can't be divided. You've got to look ahead. You've got to look forward. And you've got to be willing to give up the comfort. You've got to be willing to give up your possessions. You've got to be willing to give up your relationships uh, for the sake of Christ. Again, it's all prompted by the Holy Spirit as you seek it to serve him. And, um, and the issue is this. Jesus Christ is so infinitely valuable to you and to me I don't care what the price is. Let me read it again. Jesus Christ is so infinitely valuable to me that I don't care what the price is. So the issue of salvation is we got to deny ourselves, and he'll ask, are you willing to give up all for the sake of following him? The last slide I got just to show. This is a young family. This is Mark and Josie. They're actually from Lincoln Park, Illinois. They're town of Kanbadi, they have been called to do what, the, what was done for the Lomi people 30, 40 years ago. They're translating uh, the Nova uh, language, a Tibetan people, uh, and they're doing literacy and language. And they literally have given up everything. I was in their home. Uh, it's a pretty bare home. Um, you women, if you didn't have any water in your kitchen, what would you do? No sink. Uh, what if you didn't have a toilet in your home? What would you do? Uh, they don't have a toilet. They got a toilet out on the balcony of their house. They got a spigot out in the balcony that comes up from the ground floor. Uh, that's their eight-month-old eight boy, Rainier. I was just thinking, their parents are probably dying to see Rainier, dying to see him. I haven't seen him yet. They, they've given up everything for the sake of the gospel and they're in hard, hard work in a hard place where they're living. And so it just challenged me is that, um, uh, what am I, am I really committed to following Christ? So if you're not a believer this morning, uh, I would just challenge you, are you willing to give it all up? Comfort, riches, family, deny yourself and follow him. It's worth it, the infinite value of knowing Christ. As followers of Christ, are, are we doing what God wants us to do? Is our heart attitude, can we move out of our comfort zone to be focusing you know, more of our investments on building the kingdom of God? Uh, are we willing for the sake of Christ to really deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word this morning. I just thank you for these challenges, Lord, that even for me personally, Lord, I wrestle with Am I really committed to this extent uh, to serve you uh, in a way that I'm willing to give everything up for the sake of 
the kingdom. So Lord, I just pray that we would be challenged today and we just praise and thank you for your word that it would truly work in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.